It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 11, the Blaine Gabbert edition of the H-Dog Pod. Gabbert was picked by the Jaguars 10th overall in 2011. He wasn't a very good quarterback. Teammates actually would call him Blaine Gabbert. It's easy to forget that he was actually named starter over Colin Kaepernick with the Niners in Colin's final year. Don't get me wrong, what the NFL did to Kaepernick was absolutely ridiculous and stupid. I'd want him on my team, but it does maybe give you a little bit of insight into why he wasn't signed. Although, of course, having said that, like I said, someone should have picked him up. Clearly, he was blackballed by the league for standing up for human rights, which was ridiculous. I'm very excited to have as my guest today TSN's own Craig Button. In fact, you could say I'm very, very gruntled, actually. No, that's a word. Trust me, look it up. Words are funny like that. Words that you normally hear one way and not the other. Like words like uh, whelmed or shoveled or uh, ruly. It's kind of funny. But yes, I'm very excited and gruntle AF to have him on. Uh, BTW, all the kids these days, they have these acronyms they use. I can't figure most of them out. What I find really weird, how does nobody know what OTT means? I've said it so much and people don't know what it is. It's kind of weird to me. If I know, I figured everyone else must have known it means over the top, and I promise you I won't be OTT in my effusive praise for my guest, though I'll admit I'm very whelmed with having him on. Okay, now welcome on Craig Button, who is a Calgary Flames general manager from 2000 to 2003. He started his management career with the Minnesota North Stars way back in 1988, became the Dallas Stars director of scouting for seven years, and then the director of player personnel, overseeing their cup win in 99 and cup final appearance the following year. It's been at TSN for many years as the director of scouting. Craig, welcome to the H-Dog Pod. Hey, I'm happy to be part of it, uh, Mr. Harrison. I never thought I'd get asked to be part of this. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. And, you know, all the times we pass each other on the stairs, in the hallways, in the control room, you've never asked. Now I feel that you're desperate. <laughs> you, you've probably exhausted all your other guests and you figure, okay, who can I ask? Yeah. It's unbelievable. You're... But you know what, Mike, I'm not hurt. Because, you know what, no matter what level you like me, <laughs> I still think the world of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I just never, I always wonder with people, I don't, I don't want to impose on them, make them feel like, uh, you know, I'm asking too much of them or whatever, because you're, you're obviously a very, very busy man. So uh, that's why I was kind of like, eh, I, I don't want to bother him, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you want to know something? You're like Newman in Seinfeld. You say you don't want to bother somebody, but you do. I, I definitely do. Yes, 100%. 100%. I would say, Mike, that's a nice try. That's a nice try. You know what? I get it. It's okay, though. Well, how about this? We turn over a new, fresh page, and we start fresh. That sounds good. I like that. I like that very much. <laughs> I mentioned that you started with the North Stars in 88. Take us back to when you started with the management group and then your career after that. Well, you know, Mike, it was interesting. Obviously, my, my father was in, it was in hockey. I, I was headed to a career in uh, banking and international banking. That's where I was headed. My uh, Coming out of university, uh, you know, I graduated, and, that, and that's where I was headed. Jack Ferreira, who was the, who was the general manager at the time in, in Minnesota, uh, had worked with my dad, and he'd, even, he'd been with the New York Rangers before uh, becoming the general manager in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, he had asked uh, a couple of times if I would do part-time work uh, for the for the New York Rangers while I was in university. Well, I can tell you this, Mike. I was having too much bloody fun on weekends and whatnot <laughs> to go start going scouting. I wasn't going to be doing that. I was, having, I was having a grand time in university. And my friends and I that I grew up playing hockey with, uh, we used to go into these Molson beer tournaments. And we, we would play Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. 
and we, we, we was all our, all our friends and we had a lot of fun and you know, that was something I wasn't ready to give up. So, uh, when he became the general manager, you know, I reached out to him to congratulate him and every, and, and just, uh, uh, let him know how well he was and, you know, what his thoughts were. And he phoned me and he asked me if I'd be interested in doing some part-time work. And I, and I said, well, here's where I was at. And he, he told me, he said, listen, Craig, he goes, I have lots of friends in the banking world. If you don't like it or it doesn't work out, I'll try to help you. He said, just give it a try. I said, okay. I tried. My dad thought I was nuts. He thought I was crazy. Uh, but I gave it a try by November. It was a very, it was a very, very small staff. And, uh, uh, by November, uh, they'd asked me to do a lot more. And, uh, you know, I was pretty much working full time, uh, from the end of November on, uh, doing, doing everything. And, you know, because it was a small group, I had a lot of hands-on, uh, training, a lot of, you know, one-on-one and, you know, Les Jackson, who is still the assistant GM in, in Dallas. I mean, uh, outside of my parents and my family, nobody has had a greater influence on me than Les Jackson. I mean, his patience, his knowledge, his his help, his guidance, everything that he did. And I, I was I was tremendously fortunate. You know, also people might not Chuck Grillo, uh, who had a lot of success, uh, was with Pittsburgh when they won a, when they won their Stanley Cups. Uh, Dean Lombardi was the assistant GM, and, and Jack Ferrer, who's had a very successful career. It, it wasn't a bad group of people. Uh, in that uh, in that uh, management group, it definitely sounds like that. And you've also been part of management groups with uh, a couple of legends of the game, Bob Ganey <laughs> and uh, Bobby Clark. Uh, there has to be some really awesome stories with them, eh? Well, Mike, I can tell you this: I, I grew up in Montreal, and my my favorite player was Guy Lafleur. I love Guy Lafleur, but my uh, right on equal footing was Bobby Clark. I, I was a centerman. I, I used to use uh, his Sherwood PMP uh, model stick. That was the stick I used, and I. You know, I tried to, uh, you know, I love the way Bobby Clark played. And, you know, that's, you know, you try to emulate. I mean, obviously, Lafleur because I was a Canadian fan, he was so exciting. But, you know, when when Bob Clark came over to our team in, in Minnesota, I, I was kind of like pinching myself. I, I really couldn't believe it, to be straightforward with you. But, you know, Bob Clark was a Philadelphia Flyer through and through. And, you know, he, 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 had, he had been let go and he came over to us and, you know, it was very, very interesting uh, to work for Bob because, you know, while we were learning and, you know, there was a, 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 an amount of uncertainty that everybody was dealing with with the organization that had been sold to Norm Green and, you know, we were trying to build up, you know, Bob Clark was also learning. He, he hadn't worked outside of, of Philadelphia, that group. And, you know, Mr. Snyder, the late Mr. Snyder had been influential for Bob Clark. But I'll tell you what, coming in and, you know, he was, he's such a great competitor and to know what his uh, commitment to competing is uh, and, and not only in competing for the honor. And, and, and the reason I tell you that is that I'll, I'll share a story with you. Our team was not very good that year. Bob Ganey had been hired as coach. He'd come back from France after retiring from the, he'd gone over to France to work with a team in Epinal and he'd come over to be the coach and you know, we weren't very good. We, in January of uh, 1991, uh, I think we were four points out of last place in the league. Oh, wow. And the and the prize that year was uh, Eric Lindros. Now, everybody knew how good Eric Lindros was and everything that went with it. And, you know, we had a, we had discussions at, uh, at the uh, at our draft meetings about what, uh, you know, what it would mean to get Lindros, you know, what, what, what we could do. And I'll never forget it. And the integrity of competition. 
and it, it stays with me to this day and will stay with me uh, until the day I die. Bob Clark said, there is no way as a, as, a, as a team in the National Hockey League and as a general manager of the National Hockey League, we are ever going to do anything to, to violate the integrity of competition. You know what? We're always going to try to make our team better. We're always going to try to make sure that we can be the best we can. We're not going to be reckless and just chase things, but we're going to be prudent. He goes, I will never be part of an organization. And nobody... And let me emphasize, he said nobody that's in professional sport should ever try to do anything, anything less than trying to be as competitive as you can, given your circumstances. And, you know, the, the term tanking now comes in. Mm-hmm. Bob Clark abhorred it. He said, no way, I will not be part of it. It was a great lesson because it, because it tells you that, like, you know, the easy way, Mike, is to just roll over and say, yeah, we'll just say we'll get Eric Lindros, right? Well, you sent a terrible message. You sent a terrible message within your group. You sent a terrible message to your players. Anyway, we, we got real fortunate. I call it the magical mystery tour. Uh, we ended up going to the Stanley Cup final that year. Our, our team caught fire. Bob Ganey really took a hold of it as a coach. We lost in six games. It was magical. Anytime you go to the Stanley Cup final, it's magical. Our team wasn't very good, so that was the mystery part of the tour. <laughs> but, but learning... You know, Bob Ganey, you know, the way he interacted with the players, the way he directed the team, the way he got the team to coalesce, and and, and the message from Bob Clark. I mean, Bob Clark and Bob Ganey, you know, were great competitors. And, you know, those lessons are ones that you you never, ever uh, forget, and they are incredibly valuable. To this day, Mike, uh, like, I think I I abhor tanking. Like, I think the idea, I love what the NHL has done with the lottery. Mm -hmm. You know what? It's wide open to anybody. So if you want to take your chances on an 18.5% chance to get the first pick, go ahead. Do it at your peril. But I abhor it. Yeah, I'm actually still surprised for a different league that the NFL doesn't have uh, some sort of draft lottery and make that into a big show or something like that because that that's always surprised me the NFL wouldn't do that for basically similar reasons. Yeah, but, like, you know what? Like, when you have the Cleveland Browns year in, year out, you know what? Like, they're, they're not trying to lose. They're just incompetent. <laughs> yeah. Like, so you, you can't you can't fix compet- incompetence, right? You just can't, right? So the teams that remain incompetent until they get competent management in there, they're never going to be any good. <laughs> yeah, no, holy crap. One in 31 uh, in two-year stretch there, Cleveland. Oh, my goodness. Well, as Ray Farrell says, you can't fix stupid. <laughs> That's a great quote. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, obviously, like I said earlier, Dallas Stars, a lot of success, late 90s. Uh, you were part of the Cup team, as I mentioned, and uh, the Cup final appearance the next year. What are some great stories or memories that you had from uh, those Cup runs? Well, well, you know what was amazing? I'll tell you what. My, I mean, we moved our team from Minnesota down to Dallas. You know, I tell people in Minnesota, I mean, obviously being with the North Stars and having lots of great relationships with people in Minnesota – you know, it, you know, you try to tell younger people now there was no NHL team in Minnesota for seven years. And they go, what? And, and, and think about that. Think about the times, you know. You know, I know in Canada people talk about Winnipeg leaving and the, and the Quebec Nordiques leaving. Well, Minnesota North Stars left too, and that, that was a hockey hotbed. And, you know, the finances. But Norm Green, you know, had some really great vision uh, in terms of moving down to, to Dallas. And, and that was nice. And there was a very, there was only about uh, less than 10 of us that were from the hockey area. So going down to Dallas, you know, we didn't have, you know, it, it was, it was building up an organization in all the critical areas. 
And Bob Ganey was the general manager and coach. So, you know, Doug Armstrong, Les Jackson, myself, you know, we were tasked with a lot of different things and opportunities to do a lot of different things. Because again, our finances weren't great, you know, uh, you know, less people were, were asked to do more. But going down to Dallas, and, and this is where the where, where great foresight by Norm Green was. He hired Jim Lights to be the, the president and CEO. And Jim, uh, the, the son-in-law of, of the late Mike Illich, you know, had been an instrumental in Detroit, building it up, building up minor hockey in the Detroit area. And so him and his then wife, Denise, Mike's oldest uh, child, came down to Dallas. And, and I can't begin to tell you how instrumental Jim Lights was, not, not just in terms of giving us guidance and, and, and helping build an organization in all the critical areas. I mean, we know about finance, sales, marketing, but broadcast and all those areas that really developed and became significant and the people he hired and, and then building up minor hockey. Uh, in, in, in the Dallas area. I mean, Jim Lights, uh, I, I, think, I think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think that as a builder, what he has been able to do uh, merits, uh, merits uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction. I, I really do. I think he's been terrific in so many different areas. Uh, so now we go through the growing pains like any other team. You know, we think we're good. We we're able. Tom Hicks comes in as our, as our owner. And, you know, we make some uh, some we have some really good young players. We make some moves, but you know, at, as expectations rise, I'll tell you what, Mike, it becomes it becomes really really hard, uh, you know, because now you're in a very very select group, and that select group was Colorado and it was Detroit in, in the Western Conference. St. Louis was a very good team, and you know, you think, okay, we're good. Well, guess what? There's there's two and three really other good teams, and you know, believing in what you're doing and, you know, allowing the team to grow. I, I, I think that that's one of the things that Bob Ganey was exceptional at was understanding what a team needed to help it grow and then taking your hands off of it to let it grow and, and continue to evaluate it. You know, my, my late dear friend, Brad McCrimmon, who, who grew up in Plenty, Saskatchewan uh, uh, with, with a farming family, always said building a team is like, you know, planting the crop. You know, you, you get out, you, you, you prepare the field, you know, you, you plant the crop, but you can't go out there every day and pull up the crop and look at it. And, you know, you got to let, you got to let the soul, you got to let the seeds, you know, get into the ground. You got to water it. You got to manage it. And then you watch how it grows and then understand. It's the same thing with the team. And Brad used to say that all the time and use those farm analogies. And, and Bob Ganey, Bob Ganey had that feel. And he had that understanding. So, you know, when, when you lose in 1998 in the conference final, we lost Joe Neuendijk in the first game of the playoffs that year. Uh, he blew out his knee. And we still went to game six uh, against the eventual Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings. We were the president's trophy winners that year. And, but we had a team. And we knew we had a team. And, you, you know, when you, when, when you, it's hard, Mike, to sit down and look at your team and go, we believe in this team. It's not hard. But it, you want to tinker. You think you need this. You think you need a little more of that. Why don't we get this? And, and, and you like the crop, you know, you got to just keep your hands off of it and trust that the work you've done and that they're growing. And that's exactly what that team did. And, you know, from Ken Hitchcock and Rick Wilson and Doug Jarvis, the coaching staff, who really took that team and, you know, allowed it, allowed it to, 
take ownership of itself. I, I think that's another unbelievable aspect of growth is the team took ownership of, uh, of its own destiny. Yeah, they had guidance. Yes, they had guideposts. Yes, they had direction. But they took ownership of that team. And, you know, you win in 1999. Uh, you, you know, you win and, and it – it's not you're not it's not like you're not excited you are excited it's kind of but to be quite honest it was like that was our goal that was our expectation I've, I've said this many many times I've told this story we won on that June night in 1999 but where where we really felt we could win was after we had lost game six in 1998 in the conference final uh, the series had ended right. in, in Joe Louis Arena we were down in the coach's office and it's over. There's no, there's no, it's just a hum, a hum of the lights. Everybody's quiet. And it, it seemed like hours before anybody spoke. And finally Doug Jarvis spoke and he said, we have a team here. We have a good team here. We have a team that plays for one another. We have a team that competes for one another. We have a team that knows now what they're willing to, to do to be the best. And it was at that moment in time that you said, yeah, we have that team. So now you got to guide it along, right? It, it's no different than the crop. You, you, you guide the crop around, and then when you sow the seeds and you, you, and you get the crop out of the ground, you go, boy, this was really good. But that crop grew because of, uh, because of the direction and, and the guidance and the belief that it was the right crop. But that night, the, the, the seeds were sowed that night in 1998 after that loss to Game 6 where, that, where, where, where you go, okay, now you're into a different focus. It's not hope anymore. It's a belief. And then that belief was rewarded. Absolutely. It definitely was. Uh, you mentioned earlier Joe Newendike. Uh, that was a, such a massive, uh, great trade for both teams, Calgary and uh, Dallas. Uh, uh, Jerome McGinley, Joe Newendike. What was the genesis behind that trade? Well, I mean, the genesis behind that trade was, you know, we were looking at the Detroit Red Wings, and they had Eiserman and Fedorov. And then we kind of glanced over at the Colorado Avalanche and uh, – they had uh, they had uh, Sackick and Forsberg, <laughs> and we had we had Mike Madonna, who, who was terrific. But one Mike Madonna was not going to equal the the duos in those two on those two teams, and so you know we were looking and we were trying to find a centerman, a really good centerman that could that could play with Madonna, that could give us more balance. And we had a lot of good young players. We, we, we had Madonna, we had Darren Hatcher, we had Richard Mapachuk, we had Lagenbrunner, we had Yuri Lettinen. So we had a lot of, and we had drafted uh, uh, Jerome uh, in, in the summer of 1995. So and, and we, we had we had a really good young group of players. And in that same summer of 1995, we tried to sign Ray Ferraro, and uh, uh, and to be that center. Uh, with the uh, with the Dallas uh, with our team and play with Madonna and you know and w- we made a pitch to him and made him an offer he he chose to go elsewhere and so then the the Joe Newendike scenario uh, unfolded and uh, you know he was holding out in Calgary so it was it was an opportunity for us to to, to explore it and and explore it we did and as we got deeper and deeper into it Mike you know we we, we looked at it and said okay. If we're going to be a good team, we are going to have to be able. Uh, we are going to have to be able to uh, have a, 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 a duo of centers. And as we looked at it, we said, if, if we trade Jerome McGinley and we and we have Joe Newendike, 
we're going to be really disappointed about losing a really good player. I'd like to tell you we thought he'd be a 600 goal scorer in the NHL. That's not true. We thought Jerome was going to be a really good player and a really good power winger, and he was. But he's a Hall of Famer, 600 plus goals. He 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 was much better than we thought he was going to be, and we thought he'd be very good. But we said if we have, we're going to be thrilled. We're going to have that one-two punch up the middle of the ice, but we're going to lose Jerome. And if we have Jerome and we don't have Newendike, we're going to be thrilled to have Jerome, but we're not going to have that one-two punch. And where are we going to get it? And, and remember, we had tried to get Ray, and then we uh, and now we're in on Newendike. And, and Bob Ganey, again, was, was outstanding in this regard. He said, listen, we have a lot of young players, and you know what? Those players are looking for us to help them be better. Madonna's looking for us to help, help to be better, and we know we have a star in him. We have a superstar in him. But how do we help him? And we, we keep Jerome. Can he help our team the same way Joe Newendike could? And the answer was very clear. No. And we needed to help our team at that particular moment in time. And that's why we made the trade. And we knew it would hurt either way we went. But we also knew what the best path was for our team and for our players. And, you know, that was key. And, and, and let me just say, Joe was a Hall of Famer. He was a great player. And he was phenomenal for, for our team. But I'll tell you what else Joe did. He came into that into our team, and he and he had this mature aura about him, about how he carried himself and how he went about his work and how he went about his business, that that, that was infectious. And uh, I, I mean, Bob knew that, and you, you know, you you knew about Joe, but there, there was people that really understood that about Joe. So his impact on our team became uh, so magnificent. And obviously, he won the Conn Smythe in 1999 and, uh, you know, was just an unbelievable player for us. And uh, I'll be quite honest, I, I think the Dallas Stars, uh, when they traded Joe Newendike and Jamie Lagenbrenner, cut a, cut a lot of their heart out of their team, a lot of their soul out of their team when they made that trade. And, you know, look at what Joe and Jamie went and did in New Jersey. They went and won another Stanley Cup. They were, they were, they were players that uh you know are the heart and soul of teams and they were certainly uh a big part of our teams but joe was phenomenal i want to add one thing to that i I mentioned ray ferraro and i told ray this many times because gord miller loves to get on he always likes to say he says oh well you would have never you would have never uh won if you didn't make that trade with joe newendike i said gord be careful i said if ray ferraro would have said yes to us we would have had ray ferraro and jerome mcginla I said, so ask yourself this question. If we have Ray Ferraro and Jerome McGinla instead of just Joe Newendike, do we win the cup? I like our chances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you uh, are, you think you're, or you know you're pretty much sewering a GM and you're, you're definitely going to win this trade uh, and you're going back and forth with, with offers and you know like you have the way better options here and you're going to win the trade for sure. What do you do? Like, do, you, do you pretend like you don't like the trade or what, what, what's the process there? Mike, I don't think you go into it trying to win a trade. I mean, like, you, you want to do the best thing for your team. The managers are really sharp and astute. And, you know, I think that uh, the great Sam Pollock said many years ago, you better know your own player as best you can before you trade them because you're never going to know the player you're getting better than the team that has them, better than the team that's trading them does. So, you know, you can do all your work and you can do all your research and everything. You got to keep that in mind. And I know lots of people, we talk about winning trades and teams make trades for different reasons. And, you know, I think that you're trying to look at what you're trying to do 
with respect to a trade. And I'll I'll give you two examples when I was in Calgary. Is that number one, when when we traded for Craig Conroy, we needed we needed some center icemen in, in Calgary when I came here. There was a there was a lack of center icemen that, that that could really drive play. And Corey Stillman, who had been a high draft pick and had played center in junior, but had been a winger in, in the in the NHL, you know, we had asked him to try playing center. He was willing. He was smart enough. But 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 his patterns of play in the NHL had had moved over to that of of, of a center of a winger. And so it was really hard for him to make that adjustment that deep in. And Corey was a good player. So we explored different options. And we, we, we explored options with Mike Pekka that year who was holding out in Buffalo and with Craig Conroy. And, you know, I, when we made the trade for Craig Conroy, I, I had a real benefit. I'd watched Craig Conroy play since he was 17. He was a prolific offensive player as a prep school player. He was a prolific offensive player at Clarkson. He was a prolific offensive player in Fredericton uh, where Montreal had drafted him. He'd gone to St. Louis and become a really good third line, you know, defensive forward. And that's just how it, that's just how it fell out for him. But I had all this background on him. We traded for Craig Conroy. Uh, The first question that got asked of me uh, in in the press conference was where the goal is going to come from. And I didn't have it rehearsed, but I said, I'm not worried so much about goals. I'm worried about wins. And I think that Craig Conroy can help us win in areas that are really – that become important to winning. And, you know, like I, – so, so I, I wasn't looking about giving up goals. I mean, uh, the media might have looked at it and said, oh, boy, this is a bad move. You traded this for that. The same thing happened when I traded Derek Morris for Chris Drury and Stefan Yell. The whole idea behind that trade was – Derek Morris was a really good player. He was a right shot defenseman. We had some defensemen. We were trying to build out that center ice. But at the same time, at that point, we were trying to add in some of that winning experience. Yale and Drury had both won Stanley Cups. I was trying to bring in two guys, not just one, to really surround Jerome McGinley and that young group of players, Robin Regeer, and, and, and just try to support you know, with some with, with some of that experience of, uh, of high success, Stanley Cup success. And there was a lot of other, there was a lot, lot, lot of, obviously there was lots of people that were interested in, in, uh, in Derek Morris, as there should be. But I was very narrow in what I was trying to do in terms of acquiring those two players. And you know what, when you get narrow and you're starting to look at a very specific area, how you're trying to improve your team, you better get focused in on that instead of worrying about what are the media going to say or what's people going to say. Everybody's going to judge a trade. Ultimately, you get judged by how well your team does. And and that's and that, to me, as a GM, is the only place I ever focused. It goes back to what I told you about Bob Clark and Bob Ganey. That was the only area they ever focused. You're, you're a manager of a team. You're not a, You're not a manager of individual deals. Right, for sure. And uh, I want to bring up a, a player that you had in Calgary for parts of two seasons, Martin St. Louis. Uh, does a GM, like, do you lose sleep? Because he ended up having uh, going on to have a Hall of Fame career for the Lightning. Does a GM, do you lose sleep? You're just like, oh, what have I done? And why didn't I resign him? Like, is it, does it just every single day, does it bother you? Or how does, how does that go? Because no, I, would, I would imagine if it was me, I'd be, I'd be so no, upset. No, why? 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 Okay, number one. Okay, I, I'll, I'll share, I'll share a, a story that I've told many a times. Now, I came into Calgary, okay, and uh, I'd watched Marty St. Louis for a long time, and I'll get to that part of the story, right? I think Marty that year, and, and like, you know, 
I'd watched Calgary quite a bit because we were preparing for our first round opponent that year in the playoffs. So I had a pretty good feel for Calgary. I'd watched a lot of their games, right? And so, you know, a potential first round uh, opponent. They, they didn't make the playoffs that year, but we had to prepare for, for potential opponents. Anyway, that being said, you know, you come into an organization and just because you're in that organization doesn't mean, you know, the players. So you, you can watch them and everything. And, you know, you listen to everybody. Expansion that year, there was there, there was expansion. Columbus and Minnesota were coming in uh, to the league. So there was expansion. The Calgary Flames were without a general manager for two months. And decisions had been made about their expansion list and everything. And so I came in. I could only take the job. I could only start acting on the job. 48 hours or after our team was eliminated in Dallas. Well, we lost in double overtime in game six of the Stanley Cup final. Less than 48 hours later, our expansion list had to be in. That had already been decided. Okay. I came in. I talked to people that had been here and have been part of decisions, people that knew the players. Nobody in this organization, nobody with the exception of one person, Tom Watt, said that they thought that that, uh, Marty St. Louis was a player that could be uh, you know, a, a good player, a, a good offensive player. Remember at the time we had Stillman, we had Val Bure, Mark Savard. There was a lot of other players there that, that, that had had success. And, and if I recall correctly, I don't have it in front of me, Mike. Marty St. Louis had come off a three-goal season, I think. He'd had three goals in like 70 games. If I, if I were 60 games, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like that. But Tom Watts said, yep, you know three what? Goals, I think three that, goals in 56 games, yeah. That's what three goals in 56 games. So, you know, and, and, and that's not a, that's not a criticism or anything, but Tom Watts, he watched them in the mind. He thought like, he thought he could be something. He, and he, but nobody else, not one other person, not one other person stood up and, and, and talked about, uh, about, uh, uh, about Marty St. Louis as a guy we should keep. Right. So he, he, he became, he was available to all 30 teams or all the teams in, in the expansion draft. He was available to everybody. He was available to everybody as a free agent. And, you know, he signed a two-way deal. And I give Martin St. Louis every single credit for going to Tampa Bay and finding his way. But but, but it didn't happen. There, there was no signs that that was going to happen in the NHL. And certainly it took him probably to halfway through his second year in Tampa Bay until he started to show that. So, you know what? Great for Marty St. Louis, I, like a, an unbelievable guy. But the, here's the story. During the, during the World Cup of 2004, I'm in the Montreal Forum of the Bell Center, and I'm standing with J.S. Chiguer, Denny Gauthier, uh, no, sorry, Steve Bejan, and, uh, and Martin St. Louis. So Marty's on the team and on Team Canada, and we're downstairs talking, and you know what? The, uh, Jaguar's giving me a hard time, and... Uh, and uh, and Stevie Beja, who I love, is giving me a hard time. And Marty's there. And I, and I said, hey. And, and, I said, and Marty goes, ah, Craig, you couldn't go. And I said, hey, Marty. I said, I watched you play midget AAA in Quebec two years. You were dominant. I watched you play in Vermont for four years. You were dominant. I watched you play in the American Hockey League. You were dominant. I said, I was a scout. If anybody should have known, it should have been me. And he hits, he slaps me on the back. He says, yeah, you should have known. (laughs) And we laugh. And we laugh about that to this day, right? But I'll be honest with you, okay? And I think that uh, you you look at it, right? It it, it was one of those things that nobody knew. 
Nobody knew. Marty St. Louis wasn't even sure. So if you want to go back and, and play the game of hindsight, right, there was nothing. I'll share a story with you. You know, we, I traded Andre Nazarov that summer for Jordan Leopold. Okay? Andre Nazarov. <laughs> Every single person in the Calgary Flames organization thought I was nuts. I worked out. Think about it. <laughs> no, no, but think about it. Andre Nazarov, who didn't have any record of, of offensive success or anything, right? Everybody in the Calgary Flames organization thought I thought it was nuts to trade him or consider I traded him. I didn't care, right? Because I knew how good Jordan Leopold was, right? I believed how good he was. Mm-hmm. And nobody believed in, with the exception of Tom Watt, nobody believed in Marty St. Louis. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty crazy how, uh, how it turned out. It is crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. But yeah. Mike, trust me. I don't lose any sleep. <laughs> I, I, I respect and I honor uh, what Marty St. Louis did. I mean, it was phenomenal what he did. And you know what? I give him every single credit for finding his way. And uh, I, I wish I, I wish I'd found a way to, to, to recognize that uh, a little bit sooner, but nobody did Mike, nobody. Right. And uh, I'm wondering, I'm curious, would, would you ever, or what, or what would it take for you to ever go back to be a GM? Would you ever want to do that? Again, uh, you know what? Yeah, I think there's always something fun to be part of trying to build a team. I just, uh, you know, talking about the Calgary, uh, talking about Minnesota and Dallas. And, you know, we were the worst team in the league in 1988 when I started. And 11 years later, we were Stanley Cup champions. So building that, you know, I went to Calgary and uh, there was a lot of challenges here on and off the ice. And I, I, Mike, I'm as proud of the work I did there. I think I did terrific work there. Uh, Dan Stuckel, who was the assistant GM, and uh, and you know a, a lot of other the group that was there, I thought we did terrific work, and we tried to move it along, and we did move it along, on and off the ice. But they were at a different point in time. They were looking for quick results. I had gone through a process of you know build it, build it right, build the first, build the first floor before you build the second. Uh, different people had different ideas, but uh, less than less than a year after I was let go. They lost in Game Seven to the to, to the uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Final. I think I did some damn good work to help build that team to that point. Uh, I mentioned, you, of course, obviously you've been on TSN for a number of years. I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, what's your most embarrassing moment on air, uh, TSN, or for NHL Network? Most embarrassing? Or do you have a story where you're just like, oh boy, I wish I'd never, I didn't do that. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's thinking. a couple that there, there's a couple that I have. I mean. Uh, the, uh, the, there was one when I was working, when I was doing some work with the NHL network and we were live on TV and our dear friend, Carrie Bulow, who was uh, the director. And we were, we were, we were in a segment and we were, and it was a live segment and we were talking about, uh, about, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. And I was, and the monitors were up over in the corner. I was watching a game and I was kind of keeping my eye as we were talking about this, and I was keeping my eye a little bit on the Philadelphia Flyers, right? So, but we were in a conversation about the Chicago Blackhawks, and and I came out and as I started to talk about the Blackhawks, I started to call it the city of because I had the Flyers, the city of brotherly love, and I I, I couldn't get out of it, and I said the city of Wendy's. 
<laughs> oh, well, Carrie Bulow, I mean, she, she burst out in a laugh that was like hilarious. I mean, we started to laugh and obviously we, you know, for the final show, we retaped it, but that was live TV. And I mean, we laugh about this to that day. To, we laugh about that to this day, you know, the city of Wendy's, how you just get a little bit taken off. And there was another time on the NHL network where, where I didn't re- I didn't realize we were live and, you know, I think we went live real quick and i was on with kevin weeks and uh so we started off and and <laughs> and we started off and we kind of fumbled i, I fumbled and i said okay let's do that again and kevin goes well we're live how about if we do it after oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know what live tv affords you those uh, the, those moments right and if you think you're not going to have them right they're funny you laugh about it right but i haven't had i mean if those are my most embarrassing moments those are uh, those aren't very big deals. One of my favorite moments I ever did was uh, I'm behind the scenes doing uh, graphics for That's Hockey Tonight years ago. Now I'm of course on Jay and Dan, but I was working with my good friend Matt Doherty, and it was the uh, Devils Kings Cup final, and we did a graphics board on the stats board about how great the Devils were, or something like that. And I like to come up with the the funny titles, the pun titles, and uh, so I came up with the Devils in the details about how great they've done in the playoff run, right. and of course. In the devils and the details, we spelled the word details wrong. Just the irony of the devils and the details, and we got the details wrong. That was, uh, yeah, we still laugh about that one because it was just a colossal error. We just had the, and there's another one I saw. It wasn't me, but someone wrote uh, Canucks goat lending problems. Instead of goaltending, they mixed the L and the T up. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, goat lending problems. That was one of my favorite ones as well. Live TV. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of things, different things can happen. Uh, well, well, and, and that's exactly right. And, and well, one of the things too that you learn in live TV, and you know, is that you you just roll with it, right? Like, I mean, uh, and you have to just roll with it. I mean, obviously, you have a board, and I mean, there's been some big blunders in live TV with swearing, and you know, boards where you know, uh, you know, swear words end up in there and the <laughs> wrong, you know, things. It's one thing to have a misspelling, but when you get when you get when you when you get the wrong wrong words or you know sw- you know profane words spoken or written you know that becomes uh, that becomes a real problem because mm-hmm. uh but you know what the, you know calling it the city of windies you know the devils in the details right you, you know and you uh you know you don't realize you're on live tv when you are those are those are just innocent everyday mistakes that, that happen to everybody and i always made sure to make sure to, to correctly spell shots hits or shifts because if you get to one letter wrong on all three of those words it could all it would spell the exact same word all three times, and that would not be good on live TV. That's for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, I, I was doing broadcasts when you're at the World Junior with Dave Randorf, and there was a player uh, by the name of Fuchs playing for Switzerland, F U C H S, right? And and Dave and I, I mean, we we just sat there and we said at some point in time. One of us is going to slip. There's just, yeah. he, he, well, he was a good player too. Like it, it, it's not like he was an extra player, right? And you, you're sitting there, and, you, and and it seemed the more you think about it, right? The more you think about it, the more that it's going to happen, right? And fortunately for us, it never did. But boy, did we ever think it it, it was going to happen? And 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 actually. It, it, it kind of happened in a little bit where, where, where it was me that started off and I was going to say, 
and I stopped and, and he laughed, but, but then I got to Fuchs, but you know, as you start off and fuck, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Fuchs has the puck. Right. And you know, but it was, it was that close to coming through. Right. So yikes. Uh, I've got a, literally like 173 more questions I want to ask you, but uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but, uh, fast forward to present day, the uncertainty, obviously, with the coronavirus and everything going on, NHL, obviously, uh, along with other leagues, have been uh, uh, shut down or postponed the last couple of weeks. Uh, what would be your ideal NHL structure going forward for the playoffs for this season and, and next season, uh, obviously, depending on what happens uh, in the next couple of months? Well, and I think you said, what obviously, what depends, uh, what ends up happening with respect to this virus and trying to make sure that it's number one under control and that uh, the effects of it are minimized to the greatest extent possible. You know, Mike, uh, you know, th- these are uncertain times. Nobody knows how to deal with it. Right. And, you know, no, there's no manual for dealing with these types of things because we don't have a time. We don't have a time frame. But that being said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to bounce off of uh, what uh, the commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman, said he said, uh, we want to ensure that the entirety of the uh, 2021 season is in order, is in place. That, that that is our that is a main focus. So when you when you've come to that conclusion that the 2021 season is going to be uh, significant, then you everything has to move from there backwards, right? So when we talk about an ideal playoff situation, well, I mean, I think the ideal playoff situation is is understanding that, okay, if you don't play all, if everybody, if, if it just finishes right now, do you go off a points percentage? Okay. It seems to me to be the fairest way to do it. Can you find a way to get the, get the, get the teams ramped up again where they all play 74 games where some teams are going to have to play six more games. Some teams are only have to play three. So does that serve as a kind of a lead in? So now you have a very definitive point, 74 games, 16 teams and then you carry on but i but i also think depending on the timing and keeping in mind the 2020 2021 season is 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 incredibly important for the league you know like if this starts up in july you know and you want to have an entirety of the league well you might have to start considering three out of five series to begin with, right? You may fun. have to consider, well, you, ha- you have to consider, you cannot take options off the table because to try to say, well, everybody played four out of seven or we're not in those times. We're, we're, we're in, we're, we're, we're in completely different times here and completely different times call for completely different answers. Okay. Like you, you can form it around it, but you cannot just dismiss potential solutions to it. And so I, I, like, I think that I, a lot of different ideas are good and you have to build on them and understand it, but you cannot forget what the league has said. The 2020, 2021 season <laughs> is, is, is of incredible importance. Last question right. uh, before I get you out of here. I know you're a big Patriots fan. Uh, Tom Brady just, um, uh, signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, it's got to be crushing. Or are you now a big uh, Buccaneers fan? Well, I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, I wasn't impressed with Tom Brady last year. Yeah. Like, quite honestly. Especially the last and, half of the year, yeah. Well, I just wasn't impressed. And uh, that, it, listen, the guy's great. The guy's phenomenal. I, I, I think, uh, you know, every, every act comes to an end. You know what? Like, 
you know what? Then I think the uh, the Tom Brady Act, and, and when I say the act, I'm not saying that in a negative way, right? I mean, it, 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 call it call it the New England performance. I mean, call it call it New England Broadway, right? It it, it, it came to an end, and you know what? That that gives opportunity to Tom Brady. It gives opportunity to the New England Patriots. I know this: Tom Brady will not go on forever, but the the, the New England Patriots are, are not stopping anywhere. They they will continue, and. Tom Brady, people can talk about Tom Brady, you know, having he's going to prove that he can win without Belichick, right? That's great. But this also, I'm, I'm fascinated to watch Bill Belichick coach next year. Oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Because, because, and Josh McDaniels, and to watch them in a, in a different scenario, in a different setup, it's going to be fat. And they might be six and 10, they might be eight and eight, they might be four and 12. I do not know. But it's, I am going to be fascinated watching Belichick and his group coach next year because it's it obviously it's very different I'm going to be very interested in watching Tom Brady remember I watched Tom Brady from the time he entered the University of Michigan I, I was there in, in Ann Arbor living and we had tickets to the Michigan Wolverines football so I watched him from the time he was there so I love Tom Brady and I think the world of him but I, I I think that the timing for everybody is it like it's not for me to decide they decided it was the right time and now it'll be interesting to watch as we go forward. I will become no less of a Tom Brady fan, and I will become no less of a New England Patriots fan. As a, as a scout that you were back then in, in Michigan, I know he was a sixth-round pick, and obviously no one expected this from Tom. Did you see anything there at, at Michigan where you are like, this guy could be pretty good, or are you as stunned as everyone else pretty much based on where he was drafted? The, I saw the same things in him that I saw in Marty St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. Hindsight's beautiful. I wish I'd seen it. <laughs> and guess what? So do all the other NFL teams wish they'd seen it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It was a lot of fun, and uh, talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Mike. Thank you. What an absolute gentleman and a stud Craig Button is. Just the nicest man to work with. Treats everyone with such a you know respect, and everyone. I literally, I know it's easy to say, like when these guests are on, and of course I'm going to pump their tires. I'm not going to say they're you know they're jerks or something like that. That'd be pretty stupid of me. But honestly, in all sincerity, Craig Button is an absolute gem. Everybody loves working with him, and um, so thankful he took uh, some time uh, to talk with us because, I, like, like I said, I would have loved to have asked so many more questions about uh, to, of him because he's such a great, eloquent talker. Didn't want to take up too much too much of his time, but I definitely would love to have him on the podcast in the future, and I will make sure to ask him again because he was phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of the H-Dog Pod. Mm, bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. 